Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. And as always, we are downtown in studio, Salem, Oregon, Salem's home to Groundwork, a leadership institute. Our vision is to be a catalyst for transformational change. We don't believe that we are the transformational change, but we do believe that our community is, and it starts with our leaders. And so we just want to create conditions for transformational change and be that catalyst. And we started, you know, a few years ago, setting out to simply support our leaders and raise the tide of leadership. And it's turned into just this wonderful institute. And we have this privilege and blessing. I have this privilege and blessing to be the host of this great show and and interview and spend time learning from so many different leaders, not just in our community, but beyond that. And we've had some amazing episodes, 40-something episodes. Please, if you haven't listened to those, go back and, and scroll through so many dynamic topics and just incredible people to learn from. And uh, a lot of it ties back to our rooted framework, uh, which we have created and can, we're conducting research on it. And it's very important to us. We believe that it is a curriculum and a framework that can help create conditions for transformational change. And uh, that's what we're all about. Uh, we, like I said, we don't create that change, but we believe that our leaders and our community do. And so this is our attempt in contributing to that process. So great show lined up today. Uh, old friend of mine, his name is also Chris, will be joining us. Chris Udall, uh, such a dynamic individual. I don't even want to attempt to introduce him or what he does. I'm going to let him do that. But just know that I've known Chris for several years uh, and I have enjoyed his friendship. He's done some amazing things and we're going to dive in and learn from him, specifically some of his work that he's done uh, right out of college. Uh, he started right out of college several years ago in some nonprofit work, uh, NGO work, working with refugees, um, just some really compelling and amazing work. Uh, he's, he's done a TED Talk. Uh, I imagine he's been on several podcasts, just a remarkable individual and a good friend of mine. So with that, we will get him on the line and we'll go from there. So stay tuned. Be right back. Thanks for tuning in to the Rooted Leadership Podcast. Before our guest joins, you can catch more episodes, leadership tips, and community stories by following us on Facebook at Groundwork Leadership, on Twitter at Groundwork Salem, or on our website at groundworkleadership.org. All right. Welcome back to the show. Uh, We have our guest now with us, Chris. Chris, thanks for joining, my friend. Oh, thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. uh, So, Chris, as I mentioned, I I tried to give you... uh, an introduction, but I didn't even want to attempt it because I know you've just done some incredible things with your life over the last few years. And just knowing you, you know, we were friends in, in college. Uh, I just think you're a very dynamic individual. So I, I want you to, to introduce yourself. But for any listeners, I'll kind of make the connection here. Chris and I went to school together, did our undergraduate, the same university, both studied uh, peace building. And I'll never forget you know, uh, I knew who you were, but we never really spoke to one another. And then somehow we were on working on the same project and we became friends. And uh, one day uh, you finally told me what your first impression was of me. <laughs> and, and I'll never forget because we la- we had a good <laughs> laugh, but I guess I was speaking at some event and you told me, man, I saw you up there and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking, this guy just needs to shut up and sit down, right? <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> apparently I, I rubbed you the wrong way when we first met, which I always thought was really funny because we became friends, you know, and uh, it's funny, our initial impressions are, don't always match up. But um, I, I enjoyed our friendship um, in, uh, 
in college and I have fond memories talking about, you know, uh, interesting uh, philosophy and, and theory out there, you know, and and, uh, and also talking about in motorcycles and all sorts of things that we had similar interests in. Um, and oh, which by the way, I was going to tell you, I did, I did a 500 mile trip just this last weekend on my bike with my wife. It was really fun. Went all the way down, up and down Oregon coast. Anyways. That's incredible. Yeah. Enough, enough for me, Chris, why don't you take, take it, take the reins and introduce yourself, what you do, all the things that you do, and also just who you are, you know, who you are as a person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, uh, started out after uh, receiving the same degree as you, um, had a struggle finding employment as other people who studied peace building might, uh, might find and ended up moving to the middle East and figuring I better use my degree here, uh, where there are, uh, a number of conflicts to choose from and found a niche, uh, in helping youth get out of the path of extremist recruitment and ended up starting a nonprofit uh, dedicated to serving those youth called Rebuild for Peace. And I'm now the CEO and founder of that organization. We've uh, got 15 schools up and going uh, throughout the kingdom of Jordan. And we just expanded into Russia, countering uh, child sex and organ trafficking. Um, to pay the bills, I also am a growth strategy uh, consultant and uh, just finished my MBA at the University of Notre Dame, innovation and uh, strategy, and uh, have just been having a great time. You know, just doing a little bit here, a little bit there, and helping uh, young companies, startups, uh, large nonprofits, small nonprofits uh, scale and grow and and have a greater impact. Yeah, I mean, see, already quite the quite the store. I mean, built into all of that are some, I'm sure, just very compelling and and scary and inspiring slash interesting stories. Uh, you know, because when we studied when we studied peace building, you know, I had to learn that I had to learn that peace is needed where where you're at. You're right, and and but I always admired some of the students like yourself who who went to some of these high conflict areas. Uh, it's interesting our 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 country has become a very high conflict area in the world, but you know, and and engaged in 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 those endeavors. So would love to kind of hear you know, more, more about that. Um, you know, how you found that niche, what the process was, you know, take, take going, re- entering with these youth that are in being recruited from extremist entities or organizations and, and pointing, helping point them in another direction. I mean, that's, that is both important work, but also sounds pretty intense and, and maybe even scary. And, and honestly, you can talk to me, like I know nothing about it, and our listeners, like we don't know anything about it, we would just would love to kind of hear your experience there because I think it can lend itself to our topic, which you um, are also doing to pay the bills of you know helping people grow um, and this idea of of entrepreneurship and unlocking the potential that not just people but like you said, small startups and organizations have to become you know something different. I feel like just in your introduction, that's kind of your niche is how do we take something at its current state and help it become something incredibly different, right? Which we call in our institute, this, this form of transformation. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in our curriculum that we use, we talk a lot about uh, materials, right? A lot of it's vocational education is what we teach. And, and the ability to take a broken 
material, a raw material, and turn it into something more useful, more purposeful, and more impactful. Uh, if you can learn to do that with your hands, working with metal, wood, glass, uh, you name it, you actually learn how to do that with your life. I, I think those the trade school and the life lesson are hand in hand. And once you can, you know, turn a broken pallet into into furniture, then you can see that and look at it every day and think, you know, maybe I can do that with uh, some of the difficulties I've faced, whether that's being forced into being a refugee having to flee your country or poverty, uh, you name it, uh, being placed into a, a trafficking ring. Um, everyone's got these, these deep rooted traumas within their life. Um, which is where my wife, uh, comes into play or just did the Harvard med school program and refugee trauma recovery. And, and she writes a lot of our curriculum, uh, in that regard, but helping them make those associations that, you know, you can really innovate anything in your life, right? I, I love the quote from Gandhi. It was always my favorite that uh, uh, peace isn't the absent, sorry, peace isn't the absence of conflict, but the ability to cope with it. Uh, and I always thought that was more important than actually trying to find peace, but just realizing how do you navigate conflict effectively to create something new or to innovate something new. Uh, some people uh, are unwilling to negotiate, but that doesn't mean they're not willing to innovate. And I think that's an important uh, aspect of, of what we do. But uh, as far as, you know, the origin story, um, you know, I grew up in a good suburb neighborhood in Arizona, uh, cul-de-sac style. And uh, across the cul-de-sac was a young guy who was my scout leader as a kid. He would always come over for dinners every Sunday. He was always in my life. There is my mentor. Uh, he was more my brother's age than mine, but I always looked up to him. And I remember in high school, I got a phone call and learned that on a medical mission in Afghanistan, he was blown up by an IED. Uh, and I was furious, right? I, I flipped my desk over. I immediately fell to the floor in tears. Like I, I didn't know how to handle that. And, uh, you know, I was filled with a lot of hate uh, towards folks in a part of the world I'd never been <laughs> to people that I didn't even know. And to realize, you know, growing up and maturing and, and learning how to work with people and see people um, correctly uh, is that they were just trying to do, trying to make a life for themselves, right? Trying to make a life for their families. We now have a, a school in an Afghani refugee community in Zarka. And, uh, and it's one of my pride and joy schools to watch uh, uh, primarily women that we serve there, uh, get into entrepreneurship, help them start their own businesses. Um, and the transition that that was for me personally in my own life journey um, to go from being so angry at a whole group of people I didn't even know because they, because my uh, friend had lost his life at the hand of someone who was probably paid uh, a menial wage to do what he did so he could support his family. And, and that sparked the question for me, right? That's the question I took through my undergrad is, uh, you know, why do people blow people up for pennies on the dollar? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's where Rebuild for Peace really got its motivation is, is exploring why youth get involved in what I like to call illicit entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship in fields where people aren't normally 
uh, encouraged to go into. And that could be anything from joining extremism, um, you know, trafficking rings or, or, or gang violence in, in inner cities. Um, people are want they're amazing. People have a unique ability to create value and sell that value to other people at a profit. And, uh, and they're going to do it. And I don't know that attacking them for it is the right solution. So Rebuild for Peace isn't about attacking those entrepreneurs, but about working with them, partnering with them, and helping them use those skills into more productive uh, entrepreneurial endeavors. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot um, wrapped in there that's, that uh, just rings you know, true about human beings and, and uh, you know, just in, in inspiring in general. You know, I love the analogy of a, a broken pallet that can turn into a piece of furniture. Um, you know, our, our benefactor here loves working with his hands. He's a carpenter, if you will, and, and just loves the trades. And a few years ago, you know, he, uh, he went to a local wood shop course in one of the high schools and under, found out that while wow, these kids, uh, these these kids can leave high school with a certificate that you know qualifies them to go work in a in a cabinetry shop or you know and and making way more than minimum wage just right out of high school. So he thought well, we should be doing this for more of our kids. And and uh, you know, long story short, over a, just not not too much time, basically dropped a really big check to create what is now called CTEC in our school. It's a career technical education center um, that partners with all uh, seven, I think seven of our high schools here and kids can learn anything from, you know, uh, construction, manufacturing, automotive, uh, drones and robotics, uh, culinary, uh, police, they have policing, um, cosmetology, graphic design and filmmaking. Uh, just a really incredible place. I mean, it's you walk around that place and it's just more impressive than a college campus almost. Um, and now, you know, we've done, that was for just our district. We've created another one called uh, Willamette Career Academy, which is for 21 districts in the Willamette Valley. And we're thinking of, you know, even doing more, but just really incredible what, because I agree with you, what that can do because kids in high school, for example, their graduation rates when they're involved in a in a trade, in a, in a CTE program are in the high nineties. Right. And I think that there's something to what you said, when you can, when you can create something or be involved in something with your hands and see that, wow, something that I can do, you know, can turn into nothing to be something. I think that that goes hand in hand with kids seeing the potential that they have as individuals. Um, so I love that philosophy. Well, I actually graduated from, uh, I graduated from one of those, uh, career and technical education programs in high school. I was a certified and trained CNC machinist. And that was my trade uh, for a while. Oh, that's awesome. And I loved it. But but that's what I learned. If I can learn CNC machining, well, then I can learn anything. Yeah, I love that. Now, I have, I have a question. You maybe been asked this before, but you know, it seems as though if you're you're looking to support individuals that either have or are being targeted for this sort of recruitment into, you know, this illicit entrepreneurship that you, as you've called it, it, it seems that that might be upsetting to those who are recruiting them. Is, is there a big enough splash that, that that's impacted what you're doing, you know, or, or is it kind of seen as, you know, as uh, something helpful in their communities? I mean, what, what, what have you seen? Does that question make sense? Yeah. So 
recruiters um, that I've found for, you know, ISIS, Hezbollah, uh, and other organizations are very similar to recruiters that you talk to at, you know, your Microsofts and your Apples of the world, right? Yeah, they're they're there to offer you uh, a path forward in life, right? And they're going to sell you on the virtue of what they're doing uh, and how it's for a greater cause, and you're going to change the world. And this is how, and we're going to pay for uh, your lifestyle. We're going to help your family. It's just the best thing, right? Uh, I have not found that the recruiters, um, it does make their job more challenging, but in some cases, they've actually been very helpful because they are people who come from the communities I'm working in mm-hmm. that have gone out, done the, this you know different work, uh, and then come back to recruit their own friends and family. They want what's best for their friends and family. And so there, if there is other options, they want those to be explored as well. Of course, there are those who are angry uh, with me, um, but it's usually not at a personal level. Um, again, you know, I, I always tell uh, people who ask me this question that I'm a big believer in competent kindness. Uh, I'm kind and I will love you to pieces. But if you do something that is to hurt me, I will not tolerate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's worked out. You know, the other part is just really being authentically representative of yourself. You know, I don't go in representing uh, my own faith background, my own country. I go in as as Christopher, and I I work with people as partners. I don't claim to have all the answers of what's going to solve this issue. What I do is I sit down with tribal leaders, community leaders, religious leaders, uh, government leaders, and parents. You know, getting the parents involved is is super important. And you sit down, you know, you pass around, you know, the snacks and and the tea and everything else, and you just talk about what actually can we do mm-hmm. uh, to help these youth, and what are their needs, what are their pain points, what are their struggles. You know, once you learn from the community leaders, you 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 go and you interview the you know the end user, right? Uh, which would be the youth. And you figure out, you know, here's what we came up with. What are your thoughts? You know, you course correct, and you eventually come up with a solution. You know, my favorite story along these lines is there was a a, a gal uh, from Nebraska who went in and thought, I'm going to start women's vocational education in a very extremist village that at the time was flying the ISIS flag. Uh, she goes in, she starts her work, she immediately gets kidnapped. Uh, and then that has to get negotiated out between the tribes because they didn't want to get the embassies involved and all this other thing. And she has to leave with the promise that she'll never return, which mm-hmm. is great, right? She, it's not, it's great. It's a, it's a very traumatic story, but it's great that she wasn't on. Uh, three months later, I think, you know, it would be nice to start vocational schools for women in this, in this same village. Uh, you know, and the U S embassy said, don't you dare go. And I said, well, you know, I, I think, uh, it's something that needs to happen, but we went in and we talked to the equivalent of the mayor, right. Of that village. And we talked to the other leaders and we said, what do you need? And how can we support you? And they vetted us for four days, right. Living in this guy's home, uh, eating meals with him. He drilled me with every question under the book until we finally gained this trust. And then he said, you know, my daughter's or the daughters in our village are growing up in hate and they don't have any economic opportunity after they graduate secondary school. And that's a problem. And I said, well, what do you think we can do? And he said, 
well, maybe we have uh, some sort of vocational training program for women that they can use to make money. And I said, you know, I think that's a great idea. Let's do that. <laughs> and we've, we've had a school there uh, ever since uh, training women. And, and it's just a difference in approach, right? It's, yeah. it's really going from uh, this underneath the service mentality of, of what do you need and how can I serve you rather than you know, I'm an American and I'm going to come in and solve your problems because I have a university education. Like, uh-huh. you know, they, they definitely know more, uh, than me when it comes to the culture, the climate, the needs, uh, and the solutions to the problem because they're the one facing the problem. Yeah. And so, I mean, it really, it, a lot of it, you know, comes down to as well of our, our perception. Um, like we were talking before offline of this, you know, boobers, I, it, I, thou, right. If I, if I see, uh, a village, an entity, or an individual, or a group as as its or problems to fix, um, or the root of problems, and so on. Then they're going to feel it, right? When I when I go in, they're going to feel it, and that's true. <laughs> that's true in my relationship with my spouse and my kids, or in your case, you know, um, a village on the other side of the world. Uh, versus, you know, the the second approach that you explained of entering you know, with a thou where it's, look, if we're going to be in relationship, what sort of relationship do I want it to be? Well, it's one where your opinion matters and and gaining that trust, you know, oftentimes working in conflict and I've done, you know, a fair amount of mediation, usually, usually uh, corporate or family mediation, nothing and you know, on the scale of international conflict, but it's always the same story. And trust is always something that's expected uh, and people see trust as a kind of a prerequisite. Like we need to have trust in order to have this conversation. And there's always this moment of, well, listen, trust is, it's not a prerequisite. It's an, it's actually an outcome, right? It's not something that you can just have in order to have a successful conversation. You have to build it, which is what you did, um, with that, uh, gentleman. You had to go and build trust. It wasn't there to begin with. You had to build it and create it. Um, so it really, really fascinating. There's a lot to say about that. And I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier. You shared that quote from Gandhi, um, which I, I think is so enlightening. You know, individuals like like Gandhi and, and so many others that I believe had a certain per- perspective on conflict and peace that we all can learn from. Uh, I spend a lot of my time, especially in our weeds section, getting the point across of conflict being a neutral phenomenon. I mean, it's just something that's going to happen. It's it's not something that uh, that we can run from or escape. Conflict will will happen in our life, small scale to large scale, and uh, and we and if we can start to see it as an opportunity or as neutral, then we can drop the the narrative of it being a negative thing. I think most people see conflict as negative. They enter the fight or flight mode. It becomes this destructive thing in their life. But it can be incredibly constructive. It can be incredibly positive and transformative um, if we let it. And I love what you shared about, you know, Gandhi is that that peace can be the way of getting through it, right? When we take on that mentality. Um, and, and that's that's the paradox there is you don't have peace without conflict. And the beauty that's in peace uh, only comes from from understanding and feeling what conflict is. And I think that it's... I personally think it's necessary to our human existence. It's not, unfortunately, it's not necessary for horrible things to happen to others in the world. Um, but it's just amazing what what can happen because of it, right? When when people become unlocked to a, a different level of potential, some of the work that you're engaged in, 
you know, it's just incredible that 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 can happen. In an ideal world, nothing horrible would would ever happen, um, but unfortunately, it does. And so, what are we doing about it? Um, so, I love that. Tons of tons of takeaways from everything that 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 you're saying. I, so, I want to ask a question of, you know, most of most of our listeners probably aren't in in, in those sort of environments, um, but I think there's great benefit to learning from it. And I actually think that, you know, your work that you do to pay the bills, as you said, your life experience just, I mean, it lends itself. So I think in so many ways to that work, right? You've seen things and, and been involved in work that probably most of your clientele have never even imagined. And so immediately you have their attention um, because you've learned things and seen and, and through experience through, through all of that. But what would you say to to, an in, to individuals here that you know they they have they have who they have in their organization, right? They have people that are great. They have people that are not so great. Um, we have who we have in our community. Same thing. We have people who are great. We have people who are not so great. We have criminals. We have you know the homeless. We have all sorts of demographics. I mean, we get what we get in a community. It's just what's there. And uh, how do we approach our communities and our organizations with the same mentality? To, to unlock our potential, uh, to help us innovate and, and improve and, and be better. Um, where do we start? If you had a playbook, where do, we, where do we start, in your opinion? Well, you know, keeping with the, the sports analogy, I think you start with the cheerleading squad. You know, everybody needs a cheerleader, uh, no matter what team is playing, and, and they play an important role that's often overlooked, right? People need to know that other people believe in them, that other people can see their potential. And sometimes that's, that's enough. There's some people you just say, Hey, I'm proud of you. And that's an earth shattering, uh, phrase to hear for them. You know, I've, I've had people tell me that, that they haven't had someone tell them that they're proud of them. Uh, and it's important, right? Uh, I think you start there. I think you start with, with letting people know that you see their value, helping them see their own value. And then creating, you know, realistically, you got to go with an individual approach. Is that going to happen? Is it feasible? Not really. Because communities, we're talking about a lot of people, you got to come with some type of blanket approach, something that's best for all, and that's okay, right? To get the majority, but also having this, this willingness to go one on one with mm -hmm. people and expressing that this, you know, companies do this all the time with their open door policies, you know, and, and sometimes that falls flat if it's not actually genuine. Uh, you know, and I see it in my uh, corporate consulting with a lot of uh, high level, senior level executives, you know, they're really focused on, you know, what are my customer needs? What are my, my target acquisitions for companies I'm looking to get and all this other stuff. And then I ask them, you know, what, what are the needs of your employees? You know, because if you look after your employees, they're going to look after your organization mm -hmm. and they're going to focus on all of these great things. Um, but we, you know, then build out the charts on, on, you know, their employee profiles. Who are you working with? What are their needs? What are their pain points? What do they desire in life? Do you know these things? And how can you better fulfill them as the CEO or the CEO mm -hmm. uh, or the CFO or whatever your job might be, right? And working in communities uh, is the same. It's really a game about, uh, encouraging people to be better. And the hardest part about all of that really is getting to the point where you can get past your own daily stressors and your own concerns in life. It's, it's often I'm driving and, 
I get really frustrated because I feel like people are taking advantage of me on the road and, and, or taking advantage of me at the grocery store if they cut me in line and things. And, and that's a normal human emotion, but getting past that point where you can think of what someone else's real ambitions in life and, and have enough desire to, to help them out. I think, you know, if I'll share a quick story, that's, uh, um, you know, I, I was, I was recently assigned to go do a financial, uh, well, an infiltrative financial investigation into child sex and organ trafficking in Romania, uh, with the goal to figure out what exactly is the profit and loss statement of this industry? What are they charging for their services, you know, down to the cent level, who's making the money, where is it going? How is it being transitioned from different countries? in order to figure out how to make the industry a little less profitable, make it a little harder uh, mm-hmm. to work in that space. And uh, I was posing as a customer um, to get a lot of this information. And I was escorted to a really, really shady uh, communist era block apartment building on the fourth floor, uh, you know, flickering lights, something out of a Jason Bourne movie. One of those moments where I just sit there, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Like, how, how did I get here? Uh, about to open the door thinking, you know, this is, is not the safest thing I've done. Why am I doing this? And having that, you know, kind of assurances, it's about working with people, right? Mm-hmm. Helping people. Door opens and I see these young children, several of them with the scars that were indicative of a kidney removal, uh, which is common in the industry. And I see the pimp sitting at the bar, you know, he's got his, his Kleshnikov there. And, and I'm immediately filled with rage. Like, I just want to take this guy out. I don't think, uh, he deserves to live anymore. Um, you know, and this is my, my thought process this is all in the space of a few minutes here. And then I think, well, did he grow up wanting to be a pimp? Was that his, his life goal? You know, did he think, Oh boy, what a great career path. I'm going to go to school for this. And yeah get in this trade? And the answer was no, I got to talking with him and, and he had all kinds of dreams and ambitions. And this was just the only thing available to him at the time that he could get into that was really convenient for him to get into. You know, he started as a truck driver, then he realized what was what he was hauling and then he was kind of roped in uh, that way. And, you know, he had university goals. He had mm-hmm. goals to, to be someone, to, to make an impact in his community. Uh, but he just got stuck in that trade. And I think that's that's where, you know, that's more of an extreme example, but seeing people for their potential at the level of pimps and traffickers, which, you know, Liam Neeson obviously has a different view than me when he goes and works with <laughs> pimps and traffickers in his movie Taken. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, you help someone get out of the industry who's, you know, a leader and you cut off an entire line. It's not the same as, as helping one victim out who's statistically likely to go back into the industry. You're actually cutting off an entire uh, branch of their, their organizational uh, structure chain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or not chain, but tree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I think you can apply a lot of these lessons, you know, and, and you don't have to go to Romania. I've, I've done all of the financial investigation of uh, sex and organ trafficking in South Bend, Indiana. Right. And that's a, that's a fairly small, you know, mid-sized city in the Midwest. And you have the same issue. You don't have to go far to find, um, illicit industry. 
But what you do find is that these people are entrepreneurial. They're incredibly smart. They're caring people. They're a little jaded from the industry they're working in. But just like any company culture, you go get someone who works at Amazon. He's going to have a unique Amazon way of how he deals with his life. Like your, your company culture kind of becomes your own mm-hmm. culture in a lot of ways, uh, for good or for bad in a lot of industries. And it's the same in illicit industries. And when you change companies, you change culture. So looking at some of these illicit entrepreneurs for leadership uh, is something that often goes, it's a talent pool that's untapped, really. We, we often go for consulting and how to address uh, gang violence and other things. We often go to law enforcement and that's generally been okay. Uh, but you're gonna get a solution that's heavily biased towards more law enforcement action. Uh, but what you want is to work with these young entrepreneurs and say, what, what else could you, uh, you know, or what, what other avenues can we innovate in uh, to create economic growth within these communities? Because a lot of these problems that we're facing with, you know, you name it, homelessness, gang violence, uh, a lot of them are economically based in nature, right? People are poor, people are desperate. Mm-hmm. You help someone grow economically. And then they have the capacity to innovate more and more and more, the more they have a solid economic foundation. And that's both innovating in their business and innovating in their personal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's what it's all about. It's, it's just discovering who we are, but having the financial security in order to take those risks, those calculated risks uh, in venturing out to heretofore unexplored territory. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing the story one and, and, you know, two, there's again, a lot, a lot wrapped in there. And so I'm going to share a couple different perspectives of somebody that might be hearing a story like that, but I, I want to end with why I think that that work, that, that, that work and perspective you have is, is the key to, I believe a lot of our, you know, our, our problems, um, in, in, in the world. Uh, we have a saying in, in groundwork that goes like this. It's, you know, all of our societal and community problems stem from people not being seen. And so some might say, you know, when you're sharing that story, that your first perspective as you walked in and wanted to eliminate this guy, you know, is well justified and that it should have happened, right? And, and you know, screw worrying about getting changing this guy, get those kids out of there, right? Uh, there's probably a lot of people that have that perspective, right? Um, of yeah. let's just get those kids out of there, right? And, and which is true, we should try to get the the people out when we can. But then there's another layer to that of well, if you see him the way you did, you sit down, you have a conversation, and learn about their goals and dreams. Then now you're excusing the wrong that they've done, right? Um, you're letting a pa- you're giving them a pass, right? And that's also, I think, another perspective that that some might have as you share a story like that, um, which I think can be incredibly damaging, that perspective, because uh, we now are tying ourselves uh, to one way of seeing uh, the problem, right? And and we actually, I think in that moment, we actually do the opposite of accountability, because if we continue to objectify and dehumanize individuals like that, well justified because look what they're doing to others. Then I cut off the opportunities of innovation. I cut off the opportunities for any any other solution, 
and I don't get to any sort of root of the conflict, as we call in our framework, the root of the, the weed. We don't, we don't dig deep enough in the soil to really see something differently. And then I end up actually contributing to the problem and providing more justification for individuals like that to go home and sleep at night because people are out to get them and trying to harm them and making their life even harder. And so they go and work on their, on their trade, the, this illicit trade, even harder, right? And so I end up actually justifying what they do even more versus if I sit down and I have a conversation, I can start to change. And not only, I start to change not only myself, and again, I'm just shooting from the hip here. So if I'm way off, Chris, you can correct me, but I'm not just changing myself, but I'm also allowing this person to remember their dreams and their ambitions. I'm actually helping them remember what they maybe really value in life. And so in a way, I'm holding them accountable to the things that the choices that they're making that they know are not maybe the best, but that's just what life life circumstances have given them. And that's just what's been the means to an end for survival, Um, which most of us haven't had to worry. Like most of us may be listening to that story right now, haven't had to worry about that. Never had to worry about going to an extreme to survive like that, right? Uh, And all of this leads to what I think is so transformational, which is when we look at the world and we see the awful things that happen, we often and quickly and easily see the victims in it as people that matter, right? Like, oh gosh, look at these, they, let's help them, right? And then we quickly objectify and dehumanize the perpetrators. But that's where the problem is, at least from my opinion and understanding how conflict works, is as long as we see that side as it's, as people that don't matter, as people that aren't worthy of love, that aren't worthy of care, then the problem will continue to carry on. But I think the secret is in what you're suggesting is that there's so much potential that these individuals have and they're people that matter. They have goals, dreams, and ambitions. And again, some of their life experience makes it a bit jaded perhaps, but they still matter. Uh, And that's not easy to do that. I think that that's, uh, as a friend that we both have, you know, Chad Ford, who's been a guest on our show a couple of times, is what's called dangerous love. It's not easy love. That's a hard and dangerous love. Um, but gosh, it's so needed. And not just in those extreme examples, but it's needed in our own families, in our own neighborhoods, in our own organizations. There's the people that quickly we deem as unworthy of that level of care and concern. And so we carry on. And we just add to that reciprocal cycle um, of negative and destructive conflict. Uh, so I'm bouncing all over the place. And again, if I'm, if I'm way off from how you see things, I would love to hear it. But I think that what you're doing is really fascinating and, and needed because it's, I think that we, <laughs> we oftentimes pay attention to the extremes. We don't, we don't really look at the, the middle area, but what, that's where most change happens, right? In the middle but we pay attention to the extremes. And if we can learn from the extremes, then I think that starts to impact this, this middle area. So I'm going to stop there and let you respond. No, uh, I think you're, you're fairly spot on. I, I seeing someone's potential and, and valuing that, you know, a lot of people that I work with in the business uh, community are always concerned about a few things and it's, you know, production of employees, uh, you know, the bottom line, obviously, uh, company culture and uh, talent acquisition and retention, right? I include those in the same because you can get good talent to work for your company is one thing, right? And to retain that talent 
for a decade is, you know, with the millennial generation, almost impossible. You like to bounce around for career progression. Uh, but you give a young entrepreneur a chance to receive development mentorship from you or your company. And he's going to be loyal to you for life. You know, he is going to work for you and advocate for your business, advocate for your brand way more than a Harvard grad ever would, right? Because you gave him that, uh, that first, you know, look when everyone else was assuming they were no good, right? And uh, in, in the corporate setting. And, and that's the kind of thing that I, I very much advocate, right, is, is giving a second look to the youth, you know, and it's easy to find them. You talk to the principals of the local schools, they know mm-hmm. who's dropping out. They know the parents that are struggling. You know, you go to the churches, um, you know, any, any church, doesn't matter what uh, affiliation it is. And you talk to the, the leaders and they'll know which families are struggling or have, you know, wayward children. Uh, they're easy to find and, and giving them opportunities, you know, is how you progress with a community, Hmm. right. In, in my opinion, and not everyone is going to take to it. And that's certainly okay. And -hmm. it's okay that not everyone is going to want to, uh, get out of what they're doing because a lot of what they're doing is very profitable. Yeah. Right. And they've, they've become a part of a family in, in most cases, especially in a lot of the gang world. Uh, there's a lot of social clout that comes with that but but that's that would be my encouragement for anyone listening is is next time you're looking to hire someone or you know uh change a community initiative uh or plan something in your community get some of these perspectives involved you know give them a second look they have a valued opinion uh might add some colorful language to your meeting and that's okay and that's exciting uh, but you, that's, you know, a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion, uh, these days. And that's, that's certainly just phenomenal, a great discussion to have. Uh, but I would also add to it diversity and inclusion of, of economic paths forward, mm-hmm. right? We can't shame people because the only way they've found to build an economic life is, uh, what we would consider damaging to a community, yeah. right? Um, but including them in the conversation. It'll certainly make for a unforgettable meeting. Uh, and if that's the only reason, you know, it's still, there's no bad reason to include them, uh, yeah. in these conversations, but yeah, it's, it's really at the core base of it is seeing the person is the same way you see yourself. You know, Martin Buber is a great example of that. The I thou theory that you mentioned, um, is really at the core of, of a lot of it. And then that, Ability to build trust. I mean, trust in this line of work, trust is your number one currency. Doesn't matter who your donors are, doesn't matter who your funding is, all of it is newt without trust and building trust within the community and building trust with individuals uh, of varying backgrounds. Um, so everything you can learn about building trust and and being an authentic, you know, individual and authentically caring about others. Uh is going to be is going to serve you well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I love the the advice that you're giving to our community. We're we're involved in so many involved, right? We don't run these things. Sometimes we convene and we, you know, support. But involved, I'll kind of encapsulate that all in the term involved. We're involved in a lot of community endeavors, and 
hearing involving the voices of uh, of of the individuals that you're suggesting, I think I do I do agree. I think it can provide you know tremendous value, and uh, you know diversity, like you said, is a big topic. But oftentimes, there's a lot of research on this as well. There's different levels of diversity, right? There's what's called surface level diversity, which is I think what most of us are are talking about in 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 the world today. Certainly in the organizational public sector and space right now is surface level diversity, right? Uh, ethnicity, race, gender, things of that nature, uh, which is surface level diversity, which is important. And it's important for specific reasons. But then there's what's called deep level diversity, which gets into the life experience of individuals and what you're mentioning, right? Adding, adding this perspective not only is going to add potentially some surface level diversity, but deep level diversity. Um, and that's, I feel what we need a lot more of, right. Is, is, uh, is obviously both, but deep level diversity. And it's uncommon, I believe, because it requires some energy to find, <laughs> right. It requires some seeing, um, beyond what we might have on the surface to really understand. You know, we had a guest speaker in our Institute last week, uh, CEO of Thread Wallets, you know, entrepreneur at heart, started thread wallets. He actually was a teammate of mine. You might've known him in college, but you know, uh, built a company in six years from zero to over 20 million, you know, in revenue. Um, and he was asked about diversity from some of our participants and, and he shared an example. He said, of course, yeah, diversity, he wasn't using the term surface or deep level diversity, but he said, of course, that's something as a CEO, he's always thinking about, but he shared an example of his sister who, uh, you know, his sister, uh, has, experienced a way so many different things than he has different trauma that she's been through just a completely different life path where they were raised by the same parents but her perspective on everything is so different um and that is that is diversity right that's a deep level of diversity um and so i just wanted to put that plug when we're talking about diversity i think it's really important to understand there's different types of diversity and what do we really need to understand our community it's both um, we need to be paying attention uh, to both, and you know, again, to touch on your point of trust, and then we 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 unfortunately have to wrap up our conversation. I'm, I'm going to have to do a part two with you, man. This is this is rich and full of insight. <laughs> I, I want to keep talking, uh, but you know, just to conclude, uh, to add again on what you're talking about, trust. I I couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. Right? There's so much that needs that hinges upon trust, and our our whole approach, my whole approach to community transformation hinges upon leaders transforming. And you can't do that without trust amongst leaders in a community. Uh, and so it really, you know, the variable of trust is is key, I think, in, in all of that. I would like to close um, by just stating, you know, I, I mentioned to you beforehand our deeply see section and the four elements of of deeply seeing. I feel like you know, and obviously you're you're not one to sit and brag and talk about yourself, but you're really, I have to say, you're a really great example. You know, on paper, especially, and and by your stories that you've shared of somebody who who deeply sees. And I say that because I believe in the content that we have and those four steps. I believe that those are four real steps and components to people that deeply see. You know, but the first is to understand your why. You know, to know why you exist. Uh, and and have a deep purpose in life, right? It's not a transactional life where you just go from one thing to the next. It, it's a, it's clear that you have 
a deep why that drives you, right? Uh, and then the second is to dare to explore social space. Gosh, just by some of your stories, you have certainly dared to explore social spaces <laughs> and be in places that, uh, you know, are way out of your comfort zone to understand people at a new and deep level. And I have to say, because of those experiences and your daringness, I'm not telling people to go and sit with a gang member tomorrow, right? Or to go into human trafficking. And I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that to people, but because you've dared to explore social spaces and those were the social spaces for you, you have a completely different perspective on life that I think it just adds extreme value to to wherever you wherever you go um, and to any organization or effort or whatever thing that you're a part of in the moment. And I imagine adds value to your life. Probably some of it's been hard and challenging, but man, just hearing you is, is inspiring. And then the third is to be emotionally transparent, which again means to know what holds you back and then do something about it. And again, just listening to you, I can tell that you found those things in your life. Your first story of uh, the scoutmaster that you had. I mean, that's emotional transparency. You came to a point in life to where you realized that the way I was seeing this whole group of people is holding me back um, from what I can become and how I can contribute in this world. And you were emotionally transparent and you did what you needed to do to change that. And then using your suffering well, which I think is a key component. All of us experience suffering. I certainly know that you've experienced suffering, right? And we have a choice to make. Are we going to use that to fill us with hate and resent and anger? Or are we going to use it to fill us with hope, you know, joy, love, etc., and to see that there's better, right? There's something that can be better and improve. And your whole mantra is that transform transformation. That's what I'm hearing. Um, and so, you know, for listeners, I feel like, and just for my own sake, I mean, you're a really wonderful example of uh, someone that I know, right? That is, is trying to live a life of deeply seeing. Um, so with that, you know, I'd love to hear as we end just your ultimate and my, and what I shared could add to your comments or not. I just wanted to put that into the universe and state it because it's, I think it's really remarkable and I, and I admire you for it. Um, but, uh, you know, to close, what would you share with, with people uh, listening right now? that you haven't already shared or that you would emphasize in a different way, you know, anybody listening, somebody who might be on either end of the spectrum, pretty comfortable, you know, cushy life, or those that are clinging on to what, how they're going to survive today. Uh, anybody that might come across these words, I mean, what, what would you share with, with them um, that might provide a little bit of help um, today? I would say, I mean, it's easy. Be grateful. You could sum it up in that, that one thing. There's certainly a lot of, of, uh, unideal things going on in the world today. And I'm sure a lot of unideal things going on, going on in everyone's life. Um, but finding moments where you can take some time to consciously be grateful. And, you know, funny enough, I learned this lesson in a profound way in a, trafficked, uh, networked brothel in Romania, where the same one, uh, where I was talking to a young girl and she looked me in the eyes and she said, I see a lot of really bad men every day and you are a good person. Thank you for coming in. And it blew me away. I still cannot believe what she told me. And I don't think 
Jesus Christ himself could give me a compliment that meant so much to me or means so much to me now. And she taught me that even though she is in trafficked ring brothel in Romania, she was thankful. I don't know exactly how to express how impactful that was to me. And it, it may or may not speak to some of you, but being grateful is something we can do in any circumstance. It's something that can bring us happiness in any circumstance, and it brings us perspective in any circumstance. And perspective uh, is everything. Your perspective on how you see the world, your perspective certainly on how you see yourself. And it's okay to be proud of yourself. Like It's okay to to give yourself some encouragement and some self-motivation. We all need it. It certainly has been a challenging couple of years for the globe uh, through the pandemic and through a lot of these uh, social justice issues that are bringing up a lot of pain for a lot of people. And it's important to, to take moments, continue fighting for what you believe in, take moments to be grateful and, and recenter your perspective. It helps. Uh, it certainly helped me. Yeah. And thanks, Chris. That's a powerful uh, message and, and, and story. I appreciate you sharing um, something that sounds pretty personal to you, um, that experience with that young woman. Uh, you know, and although I have not even in the slightest can I relate to, to her, I, I do agree that, uh, you know, I, I believe you're a great person and, and uh, it's been fun to keep tabs on, on you, you know, obviously from a distance, uh, you know, since we, since we have left our, our uh, school experience, you know, several years ago. Um, but I, I truly appreciate um, just the person that, that you are and that, that you've become. Uh, I'm grateful to know you and call you my friend. Um, I certainly hope that our paths can continue to cross. And I'm serious. I think we'll, we'll have to yeah, get you on another episode or, you know, have you come out and participate in our institute in some way. Because um, I think that uh, what you have to share is pretty amazing. Um, uh, I appreciate that, Chris. I'm a big believer in what you're doing. I think uh, the Institute has a phenomenal philosophy, and it's really, really right on track for for changing the world and changing lives. Uh, Great job. Appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. Well, uh, we'll have to catch up some other time offline, just in life in general, you know, um, and we'll have to do the figure out a time for that. But uh, any listeners tuning in, just appreciate your your uh, listening, and and I would invite you to think about these things that that Chris has shared and that we've discussed. Um, you know, have a have a look kind of in our in our perspective on life and how we might be able to improve it and, and change it, uh, and be you know ending with what Chris said, be more grateful. But with that, uh, appreciate everyone again tuning in, Chris. Thank you uh, so much, and uh, take care, everyone, and be safe.